Tisha Bader, and in the news, a joint statement from the World Jewish Congress and the Muslim World League to the United Nations Human Rights Council in Geneva on protecting human rights for all. The first joint statement presented by Jewish and Muslim representative groups before a UN body. Leon Saltiel, the World Jewish Congress representative at the UN in Geneva, delivered the joint remarks to the session's general debate. He joins us now from Geneva. Thank you, Leon, so much for taking the time to speak with us on JBS. Thank you, Taisha. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience. Thank you. So I just want to quote a portion of your statement to the UNHRC, which, as I mentioned, was given on behalf of the World Jewish Congress and the Muslim World League. You said in part, we come together in the spirit of peace, tolerance and respect for human rights. We believe that all human beings are given the same freedoms and rights by the creator, are destined to live in liberty, prosperity and equality, free from conflict, oppression or harassment. We share a commitment to promote and protect human rights for all. So talk a bit about what was the, what was the impetus to give this joint statement and what really were the steps that you took beforehand? Um, thank you, Taisha, for, uh, for inviting me. Uh, and indeed, it was an important statement that I had the honor, the great honor to deliver on behalf of these two organizations a couple of weeks ago before the United Nations here in Geneva. You know, we live in a, in, a in a very complex world, a complicated world with a lot of conflict and violence. So I think one of the factors to, to promote this coexistence and this, this uh, understanding between peoples is this interfaith dialogue. It's something that the World Jewish Congress is very committed to. And we found a partner in the Muslim world uh, with the name of the Muslim World League, which is also a very important mainstream uh, Muslim communal organization. I've been developing ties with them for the last few years. Um, they, um, th th their, their head, Sheikh Mohammed Alisa, he led the delegation, a historic delegation to Auschwitz-Birkenau with leaders of the Muslim faith, and they prayed there. It was a very symbolic act. Uh, and we, as the World Jewish Congress, we have worked with them uh, in the last years, as I said, uh, to, to create common initiatives and programs. Most notably, uh, this year in April, we had a joint Ramadan celebration where Jewish and Muslim leaders from all over the world uh, celebrated uh, the Ramadan holiday together. So as, as a, another step in this uh, partnership, which is continuing and we have more plans for the future, we took the joint initiative to speak before the United Nations to publicly announce our willingness and our commitment to work together, to speak together, and hopefully to help some uh, alleviate some of the world's problems. And it's, it's, it's a lovely sentiment and almost seems an obvious statement what you made, right? Talking about our common humanity, um, the, the importance of protecting human rights for all, but it's, it's not a given, as you were saying, in the world we live in right now, there's a rise of, of hate crimes against the Jewish communities, the Muslim community. What have been the challenges that you've seen in delivering such a statement in getting to that point? Um, well, uh, this is, uh, again, as you said, it's, uh, it's reflective of the difficulty of the times. Um, we, uh, as Jews and Muslims living all around the world, uh, but also as minorities in many countries, especially in Europe, we, we face also common challenges. We face, as you said, hate speech and hate crimes. 
um, we face uh, terrorism, uh, and we also face restrictions on the, the freedom to exercise our religion. Uh, don't forget recent laws and legislation in the European continent against, let's say, male circumcision or shkita, the religious slaughter of animals, both of which affect the Jewish and Muslim communities alike. So we realize that we have more that join us than divide us. And this is actually the impetus that brought us together. And of course, our, our willingness to speak uh, as one voice uh, in support of human rights and or alleviating the world's problems. I must also add that this is not an initiative that we're taking exclusively with the Muslim World League. In fact, we also cooperate with many of the Christian denominations and also non-Christian and or like non-Abrahamic, uh, let's say, groups. And, and this is an important, I think, this interfaith statement. Uh, it was the first delivered, as you correctly said, in front of the UN body, but we hope to expand it and get other faiths to join us as well, because there are challenges that we need uh, a big consensus and not it's not just um, a couple of faiths that are, should take uh, the lead in this. Absolutely. Now, I want to just talk a bit about the UN Human Rights Council and the work that you do being the representative to the UN in Geneva. Can you explain a bit about the council itself and I know and what it's supposed to do? It's part of the UN office in Geneva at the headquarters there. But what specifically is the Human Rights Council supposed to be focused on? And then we can get to some of the problematic issues that have come up in regards to Israel, for example. Um, we can talk about that as well. Correct. So um, the Human Rights Council is the UN's primary organ dealing with human rights. It's based in Geneva. It was founded in uh, 2006. And um, its, uh, its mandate is to promote and protect human rights around the world. Um, of course, uh, as you correctly said, it always hasn't stood up to these lofty ideals. And, and often um, Israel is being discriminated there and, uh, and many, uh, and there is a standing agenda item, the notorious agenda item seven, which, um, which, uh, pick, which is discussed at every session and in regards to Israel. So it's not a perfect body, but it's also not a perfect world. And, and, and we chose the Human Rights Council because it's an imperfect body, because we came to this imperfect body pleading the, the world's um, states to listen to a message of peace and, and, and tolerance and to a message that we may be of different citizenships or faiths, but we're one humanity and we should work together and not be divisive. So I think those controversies that plague the Human Rights Council were also uh, one of the reasons why we chose this body to, to deliver a statement as a way of trying to address some of its issues and moving it towards a more, uh, a more uh, productive, let's say, avenue. How have you felt that bias of the Human Rights Council or have you experienced and how do you sort of navigate those waters, those waters of dealing with a body that is unfortunately known to have this anti-Israel bias? And there are many countries that are members of the council that are, you know, have firmly stated their views against Israel. So how do you, uh, as, as a Jew, as someone who fights anti-Semitism, as someone who stands for interfaith, a representative of the World Jewish Congress, how do you find your way in those difficult waters? Uh, it's a good question. And I just say it's very difficult waters indeed. Uh, and it's a balancing act. Uh, you have countries that are dictatorships that don't respect human rights. 
that are members of the council and they're using the council for their own agendas and often to the detriment of Israel, meaning they, they scapegoat and they focus on Israel as a way to deflect from their own problematic human rights records. At the same time, you have very friendly countries that are members of the Human Rights Council. The United States was just elected uh, last week to be a member for three years. And we have other countries like Germany and Austria uh, and France who are friends and they're members of the Human Rights Council. So uh, we try to work with our friends and alienate the enemies. So this is one of the strategies we're doing in Geneva and just to mention to your audience, that's also an important fact, the same day that I delivered this statement uh, that we're discussing, the Austrian foreign minister, who is now actually the chancellor of Austria, delivered a statement on behalf of 53 countries to the same body, pledging to fight anti-Semitism. And we, as the World Jewish Congress, were honored to be part of that initiative of the Austrian government. So again, in a body that has been criticized for anti-Semitism, we gather 53 countries to pledge to fight anti-Semitism. So I think this is how you can affect real change. This is how you can push the enemies of the Jews and of human rights to the side and put the enemies, the friends of peace and human rights to the forefront. I think it's so important what you're saying, because basically you're saying you do what you can do in this situation. You, you make as much positive change as you can. And there obviously is room to do that, as you just mentioned, with the Chancellor of Austria making that statement, which is a huge accomplishment. So congratulations on that. And to just keep, you know, pushing forward, maybe there are setbacks and there are challenging, you know, walls that you face, but it sounds like you move forward in the ways that you can. Of course, there are challenges. And, you know, um, the same questions you ask me, you can ask the Israeli ambassadors who are here and working hard. And they also have to say, have to face the same challenges. But their perspective and our perspective is you don't leave your seat empty. You, have, mm. you are there, you speak out, you tell the truth, and you fight. You may lose, you may win, you find friends, you find enemies, but you are there to fight. And I think the fight, stating our position, stating the truth, stating what's obvious is as much important as, 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 as anything else. So we are here for the long run. We are here to present our opinions, our views, and, uh, and this is some of the outcomes that we can uh, achieve. And uh, thank you for your kind words, and we are here to continue to fight more. Yeah, and you mentioned the United States. So in 2018, the U.S. withdrew from the council and, as you mentioned, just rejoined. Um, and Israel, who's not a member of the council in 2018, when the U.S. took that uh, step, Israel reduced its participation with the council. But I'm guessing from what you're saying that Israel is now more active in, Israel in the, in is the council. Israel is very active, indeed. And um, they delivered uh, some important statements on human rights promotion um, um, in this session, including about the diverse families, that they were very active, and also the first ever statement uh, from the Abraham Accord countries on issues of women in, in conflict. And it was initiated by jointly by Israel, the UAE, Bahrain, and Morocco. So you also see how the Abraham Accords has a real effect on the ground at the UN fora, where Israel is taking the lead with these new Arab friends uh, to promote issues of human rights. Um, and, uh, and indeed, uh, Israel is participating at the Human Rights Council. Of course, they're not participating on this notorious agenda item seven that I, I mentioned, which singles them out um, 
for criticism during the session, but they're very active in the council's other items. And I love that you brought up the Abraham Accords and just one of the ripple effects of the signing of those accords, as you mentioned, which I didn't realize that the issue of, of women's rights in a number of Arab countries was, was brought up at the council. And that is one of the ripple effects of the signing of the accords. Uh, it, it's so important to remember that signing of an agreement is not just that particular thing, but it can have an effect, an, an impact on so many other issues at so many other levels down the road. Exactly. As you said, uh, Tisha, it's a process. And we just began the process, but there are so many things that develop along the way that we can all be happy and thankful that we have started this process. Leon, talk a little bit about, you You live in Geneva. Um, you were born in Greece. You live in Geneva. We talk about anti-Semitism around the world here in the United States. We've seen a rise in anti-Semitism, and obviously we hear about the rise in anti-Semitism in Europe. What is, I'm just wondering what your personal experience is, what you see around you, what your sense of whether this is a real problem? Is it is it worse than it was a few years ago? Give us an idea of what it's like in Europe today. Uh, I think it's, it's a very good question. And you know, um, you mentioned I grew up in Greece. I've, I've studied in the States. I've, I've, I work in Switzerland. So, and of course, different locations, different times, people have different senses. I think what's different now, it's the power of social media, the power and the spread of social media that really it's, it's a relatively new phenomenon. It wasn't around, let's say, 10 years ago. And back in the day, it was very hard to put sort of like hateful words into the mainstream. Now, somebody from their basement, they can type something on Facebook or Twitter, and the whole world can see it. So I think that's a qualitative, qualitative change that has changed a little bit the scenery. And somehow with COVID-19 and all these conspiracy myths that have emerged, all these uh, people who in fact, being the extremes and never be seen by the society now have a voice in the microphone. So I think that's what we have seen recently. And that's why we're very worried that somehow things from the extremes are coming into the mainstream. They're easily accessible. People can, can follow them. They can look at them. They can share the information. And these things can have real effect on the ground. They don't stay only on social media. People use all these things to actually attack Jews, minorities, other individuals around the world. And, and that's the fear. And, and this is why we as the World Jewish Congress work with many governments and social media companies to try and see what can we do, how we can educate the users, how we can find and sort of like um, um, uh, delete all these uh, posts, how we can work with governments and, and police uh, to try and find the perpetrators. So it's a whole new game that was not here, let's say, five or 10 years ago. And I think that's the, what is new and what is so worrying. And that's something that is not just in Europe. Unfortunately, as you said, it's around the world. Social media gets to every corner of the earth and it becomes it's really become a huge problem uh, in and of itself, for sure. Um, talk a bit about growing up in Greece and your expertise. I know you've written books about the Jews of Thessaloniki, the community which was almost completely destroyed during the Holocaust. I believe it was 90% of the Jewish population in that city were murdered uh, during the Holocaust. 
And I'm just wondering if you can talk about that a little bit and what it means to you, how it affects you in the work that you do today, countering anti-Semitism, talking about the need to stand up for hate. How does that sort of inform what you do today? Well, as you correctly say, I was born in Thessaloniki, which has been for centuries a home to a very prominent Jewish community that really was one of the main Jewish communities uh, of, of, of the recent, uh, of recent memory. Uh, regrettably, unfortunately, the Holocaust uh, hit it a big, um, had a big uh, hit on the community with more than 90%, 50,000 people were exterminated in the Auschwitz-Birkenau camp. And my family is a family of survivors. So uh, my grandparents survived the Holocaust, their families, uh, most of them were, were killed. And, and we feel this void in the city. So as part of my academic work, I try to understand how this was able to happen on the local level, uh, both in terms of collaboration or of uh, Nazi policies of local reactions, um, but also what it means today. What does this absence mean today? What is the Holocaust can teach us today? And, and that's why I think it inspires me to do the work I do, um, I think by seeing the mistakes and the horrors of the past, we can hope for a better future tomorrow. Um, and, and honoring the people who perished uh, by doing uh, work that we hope will guarantee peace and coexistence in the future, that's how we pay homage to them, to their memory. So this is one of the elements that I always keep in mind when I do the work I do here in Geneva. It's, it's inspiring, really. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the joint statement with the Muslim World League. It does sound very hopeful. It sounds very positive. And I'm assuming this body of the Muslim World League, are, are, they're a fairly moderate uh, Muslim, Muslim organization representing uh, different groups that, that feel accordingly. Correct, correct. They are a very representative group. Um, they have communities all around the world, something like the World Jewish Congress, which also represents Jewish communities and institutions in more than 100 countries. Uh, and we uh, are also now continuing our engagement with them. Uh, we're planning more joint events and also joint high-level visits that will take place soon between our leaders and other prominent international personalities. Uh, and also as part, as, as I already discussed, of our interfaith work. Um, so. I think uh, it's good when you find partners that are willing to work with you and you share a lot of your uh, common vision to, to keep on developing relationships and, and seeing how you can move forward together. You mentioned uh, doing a joint Ramadan celebration with the Muslim World League. Can you explain to us a little bit what that was like? What were some of the traditions? What was the, the atmosphere? Uh, unfortunately, because we're in COVID times, it was virtual. Uh, which was unfortunate because it was an actual dinner where we sat around the table, but it was, uh, uh, but on the other hand, we were able to get Jewish leaders and Muslim leaders from really across the planet. We had people from, from Brazil all the way to Indonesia or Malaysia, you know, for the first time being on the screen together and all wishing each other wishes for, for the holiday and reiterating the wish of all these leaders um, to continue the dialogue. And, and it's our hope, you know, Teisha, that everything we do, be it in Geneva or in New York or on this high level, will trickle down to the local communities. You know, when 
the local imam and the local rabbi or the local priests, they see their leaders working together on the, on the interface, on, 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 the, on the global level, they'll take this partnership to the local level and have things happen uh, on the grassroots level. And this is where actually life is, you know, nobody lives at the UN, everybody lives in their neighborhood. So it, our hope is that the neighborhoods will actually get inspired by these messages that we try to promote at the international level. And we facilitate this coexistence at the local level. And, and we also plan, if we are able to do so, uh, a physical uh, Ramadan dinner next year, which will also fall, interesting to note, the same with, with Pesach. So I thought, I think will be a joint Pesach Ramadan dinner, which also will be very symbolic and hopefully will be in person. Absolutely. I wanted to ask if there were any plans in the future for, for a Jewish holiday to be celebrated jointly. And you just answered my question. Of course. And uh, as I said, we, we hope that the, the, the sanitary situation will allow us to do it in person and have uh, these people, these high-level representatives of their communities be present in the same room together. That's wonderful. And it, it does sound like this is a thing that's, that's giving you hope for the future. Correct. Uh, we have to try to build bridges. We have to build partnerships. That's what we do every day at the World Jewish Congress, and we'll continue to do so. Well, Leon, thank you so much for, for sharing with us what you're doing, uh, what the Muslim World League is doing. We want to really emphasize this collaboration with the World Jewish Congress, the joint statement that was delivered about human rights for all, about the commonality of some of the challenges that both the Muslim and Jewish communities face, and this really important first step that you've taken um, to have these partnering events, which as you said, hopefully trickle down. And also the importance of working with a moderate group and showing that there are moderates out there in the Muslim world, which reminds me of Yair Lapid, Israel's foreign minister has been saying and said recently was when he was in the United States with Secretary of State Blinken and with the foreign minister of the United Arab Emirates, um, talking about the fact that showing that there are moderates to work together, showing other countries that there is room for this kind of dialogue is so important and will hopefully inspire more Arab nations if we're talking about the Abraham Accords to also establish relations with Israel, that there is the room for moderate conversation to be had in, in especially in the Middle East. Indeed, and, and you know, if we don't give the floor to the moderates, the extremists will take it. So we have to not only give the floor to the moderates, but support them and work together and, and be creative and build alliances and get institutions like the UN and governments to support this effort. Thank you so much, Leon. Is there anything else you'd like us to know about the work you're doing with the World Jewish Congress, with the Muslim World League? What would you like to leave us with? I want to thank your viewers, um, ask them to follow international news. It's important that they remain engaged. It's important that they know the developments at the international level, that they are informed uh, so that they can be active citizens and that they can join our fight uh, against anti-Semitism for human rights and for respect for all. Thank you, Leon, so very much. Thank you so much, Stacia, for your time. And thank you very much indeed to Leon Saltiel, the World Jewish Congress representative 
at the UN in Geneva and UNESCO and coordinator on countering anti-Semitism. We thank him for his time. And thank you as always to our director, Sloan Copeland, managing director, Dara Golub, technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, producer, Carol Lilienthal, and thank you for watching In the News on JBS. I'm Tisha Bader, be well. Bye.